If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, hi. This isn't Bill Shatner, but uh, if I was, I'd be listening to the Inglorious Trexperts podcast. Why don't you? Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a Star Trek fan and you haven't already picked up the hardcover edition of the 50-Year Mission, it's time for you to go out and get the paperback version of the 50-Year Mission, which is just out in paperback from St. Martin's Press. This is the complete oral history of Star Trek, the first 25 years, from me and Ed Gross. And if you think you know everything there is to know about Star Trek, think again. The 50-Year Mission, out in paperback now. And if you can't read, the audiobook is still available. Hey, are you Darren Docterman from the 430 movie? Why, why, yes, I am. Well, I recognize you because I have the Electric Now app, and I get to see all these great Electric Surge podcasts on video for the first time ever. I'm delighted. I'm delighted that uh, you came up to me and said hello. Well, I got to tell you, how can I watch all these incredible podcasts like Inglorious Trexperts, The Best Movies Never Made, and uh, other things? Well, you can find us on uh, Distro and on uh, uh, the Electric Now app. And Stir. And Stir, see, I, stir I, I knew you knew it. I did know. Because I'm not really a stranger <laughs> on the street. I'm Mark A. Altman, your co-host. <laughs> well, maybe I should have been watching these podcasts all along. I would have recognized you. Join us on Electric Now, currently streaming on Distro TV and Stir and coming soon to the Electric Now app. Back in the 70s and 80s, before the advent of VHS, chances are, if you saw a classic movie, it was on the 430 movie. With their famous theme weeks, it was a chance to see movies you'd never seen before and get reacquainted with some old classics. So now, join us for the 430 movie. Welcome to the 430 movie. It's Tarantino week. <laughs> Bob knew, Tarantino. Bob Tarantino. <laughs> you knew it was coming one day, and it's here now, a week full of Quentin mania. So uh, what was Quentin Tarantino week? What qualifies to be a Tarantino week entry? We'll tell you in a second. But first, I want to introduce you to my co-host, Steve Melching. Bleep you. <laughs> Darren Tochtman. Isn't it nice when you come back from the bathroom and your food's waiting for you? Never call him Mr. Pink, Mr. <laughs> Ashley E. Miller. <laughs> Just <clears throat> nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I, of course, am uh, Mark A. Altman, and uh, welcome back to the 4:30 movie. This is an exciting one. We're talking Quentin Tarantino movies, and uh, you know, which is interesting because, of course. Uh, usually yeah. it's Tarantino talking movies. Usually, it's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. Usually it's Quentin talking about the so movies. But bring this out week the we're going to talk about the movies. <laughs> right, bring out the gimp. Now, what qualifies uh, a movie to be screened on uh, the uh, Tarantino week? Uh, it can be a movie that he directed. Could be a movie that he's in. Could be a movie he wrote. Mm. Could be a movie he saw. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be all of them. Yeah, a movie that, a movie that played at the New Beverly. <laughs> a movie that was on the shelf in the video store that he worked in. You know, along with like Martin Scorsese, there's probably no director that knows and loves and has seen more movies than Quentin Tarantino. And it shows in, in his... His oeuvre, I wouldn't say his huge oeuvre because it's uh, it's not that many movies. It's what, nine movies now, right? Nine nine movies that he's he's directed. Uh, we should know because the trailer always says you know, the fifth movie from the six and a half movie from. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, we're 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 excited to talk about Quentin. Of course, Quentin's uh, on everybody's lips with the Oscar nominations and the Golden Globes and all that. We thought it was a good time to um, to talk. Uh, to talk Quentin movies. Talk Tarantino. Talk QT. Well, on the QT a, and very high time, time on the 430 movie. Here on the 430 movie. So. No, you're right. He's Tarantino, someone who's, uh, you know, not, not that most directors aren't, uh, yeah, all film directors aren't film lovers, but Quentin Tarantino is someone who's just a Takes voracious yeah, consumer of film and, and classic films and someone who came up, you know, working, clerking in a video store and, and you know, before he got his break. Um, 
which I think many of us can relate to because a lot of us worked at video stores. When we yeah, were... I, w- I worked in a video store for a summer, and I loved it. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. I, I, worked I at... never worked at a video store. Did you? Me no, either. I, I worked at a video store in high school, and then I, uh, in college, my, my senior year of high school, I worked at a video store again. I loved it because being around all those movies was great. I was in film school at the time, so I got to put on whatever movie, well, within reason, whatever movie I wanted to watch in the store, <laughs> right, you yeah, know, yeah. and have in it In the realm left. of the senses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, last tango in Paris. <laughs> and I got to uh, make recommendations to customers that would come in if, like, the new release they wanted wasn't in stock. I, I could call upon my... Vast My knowledge, film knowledge. To wasn't make, that uh, the original four thirty movie for you in a sense? Yeah, come and say, ah, you know, you're out of, um, you know, you're, you're, out, you're out of Smokey and the Bandit. Um, what else could I rent this weekend? You know, and it's like you would suggest all these. Smokey and the Bandit isn't a Tuesday movie. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and you would be able to suggest all these movies, and some people would be like, "Oh, that's great." And it, it was really exciting when they would come into the store, you know, return the thing. Thank you so much for. I, I never heard of this movie. It was so great. I so enjoyed it. There was something very satisfying about recommending a, a movie that you loved. I yeah. mean, I can't tell you how many movie times I recommended Charade to people, and they'd come back and tell me how much they loved it. It's I, great. I actually oh, convinced the, uh, the I, uh, my video store was in a small mountain town in Colorado so you know people were basically in there for the new releases or like you know classic films or westerns but I got the earnest movies I got the owners to buy The Seven Samurai Mm. And that film rented a lot because I think people had heard, one of those movies people had heard about. Right. But, you know, as video was becoming pervasive, this was in the mid to late 80s. Everyone was had their uh, starting to get their own VCRs like, oh, I've never I've heard about this movie. And especially fans of Westerns that knew The Magnificent Seven mm-hmm. um, wanted to see the, the original. And uh, and uh, so it. it Definitely made its money back uh, in our video Why store. Why are you speaking in this foreign tongue? What's going on? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because the 430 movie, as many of you may remember, was a 90-minute block. It would start 439 to 6 o'clock for the local news. So it's good that we're doing Quentin Tarantino week because, of course, once you cut all the profanity, um, the movie should fit <laughs> nicely in a 90-minute block with the uh, commercials. Um you know, uh, and, and or the opposite, as Netflix recently, I don't know how recently it was, mm. but put up um, Hateful Eight as a, as a miniseries. Right, uh, which they recut. They recut and expanded into uh, how many hours four? is it? It's like four, four hours. hours. I'm really curious to see that. You know, actually. and it's been up there for a while. I just started watching it because I kept forgetting they'd done it. I didn't realize. I, didn't, I, I knew they did it. I just didn't notice it was up yet. Yeah, it is. And I started watching it. I'm really enjoying it. But I just, I got, you know. Isn't there talk of them doing that for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as I well? I hadn't heard that, but that would be great. I thought I heard Although there are a lot of de- deleted scenes uh, on the uh, on the Blu-ray, on the disc, yeah. and none of which are particularly that compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, are certainly glad to have, you know n- nothing wrong with them being cut out. But sometimes you'll see a deleted scene, you'll say, "Oh, I wish that had stayed in the movie." You know, but like, most of the didn't. time, you're like, "Yeah, yeah that's... It, that was interesting to see, but it didn't really belong in the movie." Yeah. Right. I'm glad it wasn't in the movie. Although, in the the context of kind of watching, if you reconceiving those. Films like Hateful Eight or Once Upon a Time uh, as these four-hour miniseries that you kind of watch, like sitting in your chair at home, and like you have to click go to the next episode or not click to go to the next episode. Like maybe some of those things will feel different depending on kind of how he mm. kind of mm. cuts that stuff into it. But I haven't watched the the four-hour Hateful yeah. Eight to kind of see what he's. Well, we done have our with. homework now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what is the video store you worked at, Steve? Oh gosh, uh, what was it called? It had some generic name. Uh, Couldn't be more generic than where I worked. Leo's Video Bin. <laughs> and I remember when the videos Leo. Went, he started adding my uh, computers and stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to sell the computers. I'm just going to sell them. Well, for me, the guy with the snake on my face. <laughs> in, in, in our town, uh, we had three video stores. There was the one I worked in, Video Connection, I think oh, it was called. Okay. And my mother uh, had her own uh, bookkeeping and accounting business. So she did the books for a lot of local business, did the, did cooked the books. Know? For the local businesses and took so care. Of... Hire my son, and you'll pay him a fair wage. <laughs> she she took care of their payroll and and all that sort of thing. And um, as a, you know, we got some perks out of it. Like they would let us, you know, they would if if a movie was still on the sh- if she was going picking up paperwork at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I could pick out whatever movie I wanted. Sometimes or, movies fall into your bag. Yeah, you know, it happens. I mean, you know. But um, uh, one of the other stores that I didn't work at. Um, 
No, this is a story. So the story did work out. I, we were, I think I might have told this story on here before, but it was a lesson that always stuck with me that uh, we were, we were shelf, you know, putting movies that had been returned back onto the shelf. And uh, this one movie, I forget which one it was, but it was just a terrible movie. And I just remarked to my boss, like, I can't believe somebody rented this. I'm like, ugh. And he said, "Oh, you know, yeah, it's it's bad, but you know, in my to my time, I've learned that every movie in this store is somebody's favorite movie." Yeah, see, I had the opposite experience. Like he would recommend stuff, and they'd leave, and I say, "What are you telling? That's a good movie for. That's a terrible. How could you recommend that to anybody?" And he'd be like, "You know, if it's on the shelf." And they come in for a new release we don't have. You gotta flip them to the, the other thing. I said, but I know what they want to go with the wind, and we're not gonna recommend Magambo or whatever. You know? And it was like, and it was, it was like, and he's like, just, just you know, you, you just you just tell them whatever whatever we have that we have a lot of copies of. That's the movie they should rent. And I'm like, I can't do that. Wow. You know, and I want Santa Claus came in and said, "Well, you're not going to push these movies that people don't want to see. <laughs> we'll send them over to Blockbuster." But, but the lesson, <laughs> the, the the lesson I took away from from my experience was that that I brought into my work in television is that you know I may not like a show that I'm working on. Right. In fact, you I, usually don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that I'll try not to take that personally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ashley and I have been working on a show together, which is awesome. But you know, maybe you'll which get to see it next about. year. Who yeah. knows? But um, uh, on Netflix, but um, can you say that? You can. Oh, yeah, it'll be on Netflix. Yeah, well, I know it's going to be. on. I just didn't know you could yeah. say that. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're yeah. not really saying anything. Yeah, no, nothing at all. <laughs> Other than you're working, <laughs> but, but you know, but I take that lesson to whatever I'm working on, which right. is that I'm going to do the best job I can do on the show. Like I may not like it, but this is this is this will hopefully be at least somebody's favorite show, and I owe it to that mm. fan to right. do my best work. And you may not want to hang out with them. Right. But it's someone's favorite. <laughs> but it'll be yes. meaningful it's to somebody out there, and, and yeah. I want to do a good job on it. Oh, that's, that's good. And what, what did you do if you didn't work at a video store when you were younger? Where'd you work? I worked in a drugstore. Oh, oh my. I, I, I worked uh, as a stock boy and delivery boy. So if somebody didn't like a certain drug, did you recommend another one? I did. <laughs> often. <laughs> and I, what about... Sorry. I, I, I got to deliver... Um, uh, drugs and uh, prophylactics to old people's homes. Oh my! Oh my <laughs> Those God. are the best parties. Which was a lot of fun. <laughs> Retirement home drug orgies. It's Those like are... the, the cliche of the pizza boy in the porn movies. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I don't have, I have your condoms, yeah. Ms. Wilson. No, nothing like that. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Um, Ashley, you, Mr. Miller. Uh, I never worked in a video store. I did work at a bookstore. Uh, so I can totally relate to trying to recommend things to people or the the awkwardness of people looking for for titles that are just a little bit like I don't know like books books Nerd. uh <laughs> but uh actually one of my my best friends in college worked in a video store the entire time that we were there. So we watched movies constantly. Yeah. Like he would just bring in Old like stuff, an armload yeah. of movies and we would sit and we would watch it and like and slowly get hammered. Well like well well, enjoying the unrelenting fabulousness of everything the cinema world had to offer us. I would just say if I worked in a bookstore today, I would recommend The 50-Year Mission now out of paperback. <laughs> and in February, nobody does it better in hardcover. The Oral History of the James Bond Films, my new book with Ed Gross is out, and it's a winner. It's a great book. If you're a fan of the James Bond movies, you should check it out. It's available at uh, bookstores, or you can order it online, or wherever you you know audiobook. And... What's a bookstore? <laughs> oh yeah, I know. <laughs> Look, right? It's out, it's out there. By the way, it, it, the, the strangest thing that happened to me working at this is a, a massive digression because it's not even about movies. But the strangest thing that happened to me working in a bookstore, dear penthouse forum, I never thought it would happen. To me. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> This I had so this, appropriate for a show about Tarantino uh, movies, isn't it? One of our one of our regulars, like, and look, most of the regulars in a bookstore um, are generally or were generally middle aged women um, who were buying piles of romance novels. Okay, so one of our regulars called, and she didn't know what she wanted. She sent me to the shelf to get all the new stuff, and just. You know, I I brought them all up to the to the cash register, and she's there on the phone, and I just don't understand what she wants me to do next. And she's like, "Well, I want you to read the backs to me." Okay. <laughs> and there's a line of people forming, and I'm on the phone with her. I'm like, "Okay," and I pick up the first one. I will never forget this as long as my live as long as I live. Okay, looking at all these people. <laughs> Catherine was a lusty redhead. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, actually, that explains a lot. It really so does. Was this this was the bookstore in the Manassas yes, Mall? Yes, it was the Walden Books in Manassas Mall, which is where Ashley and I lived in near each other at the time. We obviously didn't know each other, but that's where I bought in that very bookstore. You speaking of James Bond, a, a bunch of the Ian, yeah, oh. <laughs> bunch of the Ian Fleming James Bond books I bought, and and the John Gardner right. Bond books, and uh, I bought the Alien photo novels right. uh, in there and, and my early Dungeons and Dragons books. All I that used stuff. to almost live in that store before yeah. I finally got a job. Walden there. Books. Yeah. That brings yeah. back memories. B. Dalton mm-hmm. and Walden Books and uh, all the Brentanos, all yep. these great book uh, bookstores. Crown. Uh, yep. um, Don't look for Rivoli. them. They're gone. They're all gone. And Barnes and Noble is like, and, and then the mom and pops, which are having a resurgence now, which is great. Well, the there were some pops. great, remember the great science fiction genre bookstores in Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. There was A Change of Hobbit in Santa Monica, which was terrific. Yeah, I don't really remember that. I've Forbidden Planet in New York, which is still there. there. Uh, but Dan- when it Dangerous much... Visions in the oh, Valley, right, yeah. which was a terrific store. There was Forbidden Planet in Sherman Oaks. In Sherman Oaks. Oh, was there was Forbidden Planet here, yeah. too? Yeah. I mean, I know there was one here and one in London, and they're yeah. both still there, but Forbidden Planet uh, was a much bigger store in New York at the time. Yeah. It was two stories. It was in a big space. They subsequently moved to a much smaller location. Right. But uh, that was like, to me, that was like the road trip. We'd go from Brooklyn to, like, we're going to Forbidden Planet, and yeah. it was a fantastic I, store. I'd have heard about that store so long in Song and Story, yeah. so my first trip to New York, I had to make go a there, pilgrimage there and check it out. It was it was it was it was fantastic. Um, so that's great. Now I want to ask you a question, which I want you to keep in reserve for the end of the show. We're not going to talk about it now, but if you could uh, have the Muppets star in any Quentin Tarantino movie, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. what Quentin movie would it be? And I want to ask you that at the end of the show, so we don't give away any of our picks. But that will, will be something I this ask is you. This a uh, target-rich environment for yeah, a Muppet really, adaptation. I really, really feel really really like <laughs> the the Tarantino. Um, Muppet connection it would really uh, work. I think there's one obvious I, answer, but I'll, I'll, I'll say I'm not it. sure there's one obvious answer because I, I, the thing I'm thinking about would not be, I think, the first the thing you would think about. So, okay. So we're going to come back to that, but now we're going to program a week of Quentin Tarantino movies. Um, uh, and again, that could qualify something he directed, something he wrote, something he um, uh, starred in or, or appeared in um, because he, he also did some famous cameos in a mm. few movies. Um, and... Uh, We'll start with Steve Melching for Monday. Okay. Well, I'm going to, my pick is one that he uh, wrote, that he directed, and that he appears in. <laughs> and uh, it's the his first film. Oh, you took Reservoir my pick. Reservoir Dogs. Uh, this is, I hate being on Thursday. Can I, I one day I want to not be on Thursday because. Uh, <laughs> okay. You can would... be Friday. <sighs> Thanks, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, obviously, well, an excellent pick. Well, I mean, do you, I can pick no, something. You else. go ahead. No. Well, I I mean, obviously, this is his first film. It was the first time we were introduced to Tarantino. I, I, I realize in retrospect why you probably wanted to pick this Yeah, I saw it in Telluride. Because you saw it in Telluride, yeah. yeah. Well, you can um, tell, still talk about it, Mark. Yeah, no, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about Telluride. Stop whining! But, um, <laughs> I, uh, this, why do I have to be Thursday? <laughs> this film arrived in 1992 with a little bit of a reputation because it had premiered in Sundance yep. uh, earlier in the year. And uh, it had this reputation of uh, of being this film that was so upsetting to some people. There were stories of, of people walking out, of people uh, passing out or vomiting or you know being so upset by the, the tension or the violence. Mm. So it had this aura of almost forbidden fruit about it like it was kind of a dangerous movie at least that was my perception of it sure. uh, as it was coming out and uh, I went to see it at the uh, opening weekend at the um, Lemley Sunset 5 uh, theater uh, on uh, at Sunset and Crescent Heights and uh, it just blew me away I just I think this movie is just terrific you know it's um uh, uh, the great cast with Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Harvey Keitel, Steve Buscemi, Chris Penn, Lawrence Tierney, and and Quentin Tarantino himself as this crew of uh, of, uh, of robbers um, that go to, uh, uh, to perform a jewelry heist that goes awry and uh, it's not about the robbery yeah Mm. it's about it's great because the opening scene it's like sort of the the pregame to the robbery with that that what became that sort of trademark Tarantino banter and digression about pop culture and 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 you know just before it was a cliche in movies yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. and it was really interesting to watch and then they get up to go perform the robbery and next thing you know you know smash cut to Tim Roth bleeding out in the back of a car and and the, uh, the 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 level of sort of violence and pain you know in this movie the way Tarantino 
and his actors portrayed that was so sort of felt so real and upsetting um, to watch. And I just watched it again for the first time in a while recently, and it's it doesn't hasn't lost any of its power uh, in that regard. Um, and it's just you know the 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 sort of the nonlinear structure of it is just terrific where you're this mystery of preserving the mystery of who and the crew is the rat who is the the, the police mole mm-hmm. which is preserved for a long time uh, in the film and and then when it comes out it's just so surprising and, and satisfying and um it's this is a film that um really kicked off the uh, independent film movement of the '90s, where this you know, this newcomer came out of nowhere. I, I would disagree with you. I think Sex yep. Lies and Videotape did that, but well, this kicked off close. this whole genre of uh, you know Tarantino imitators, and that there was a whole bunch of independent movies in this vein. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, Sex Lies and Videotape in '89, I think, a few years earlier. Certainly kicked that off, but but Tarantino is another one of those these enfant terrible these yeah. these uh, these auteurs that comes out with a really uh, a low budget movie that really sort of defines its own genre in a way and and kicks off a slew of imitators that that never quite uh, never quite match up. Um, and of course, it had a you know the trademark uh, Tarantino soundtrack, great. Uh, selection of yeah, you, source. Ma- you didn't mention Steve Wright. Steve Wright He's is the, the radio host of DJ, K Billy yeah. Super Sounds of the seventies, and that that soundtrack album was really fun because it preserved some of the Stephen Wright uh, DJ intros along with the yeah, music. All his soundtracks are great because yeah. they a lot of times they have the dialogue from the movies and everything, yeah, and the, with along with the songs. And this is a movie that just, I don't know, I just i just love it. It's, to this day, it's probably, it's certainly one of my top three favorite Tarantino movies. I don't know if it's my favorite still, but uh, it's definitely in the top three. I'm just wondering, does the act of putting the dialogue on it bring him residuals? Uh, probably. Yeah, I think it does. Okay. As the writer? Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Well, you know, the I thing that's, uh, that's great about that um the the opening the pregame and and this is what i think people don't quite or at the time maybe people didn't understand about what tarantino was doing in that scene or in the opening of another movie that somebody is probably going to name later um where you have these characters sitting around and, and it, it, having it feel as though they're having a conversation that isn't really on topic but what's actually happening is it's not just random ass pulp you know what random ass like pop culture references is actually establishing character. Yeah. It's actually telling us everything we need to know about each of these individuals and their attitudes toward each other and towards other human beings and their level of empathy. Um, and, you know, just generally like what they think of the situation that they're in before we get into it. It's actually, it's very canny. It's very smart. Um, it's also the first, well, I guess it's its first film, so it would have to be, but almost from the jump, uh, there are things in that scene that suggest what would be later referred to as the, the Tarantino verse, right? <laughs> the, uh, the sort of that wider story universe of Quentin Tarantino. Um, I know at least in the screenplay, because I can't remember now if it made it into the into the final cut. There are references to Clarence in Alabama, yeah, and what they've done, yeah, um, and it's oblique, but. Uh, you know, obviously, it's those those events are then uh, portrayed in in, in true romance. In another movie, right? Which appeared on the four thirty movie, but you know, yeah, um, and it may again. That's but it may again. It. That's the beauty of it. And the, uh, and the Vega brothers. And the Vega brothers. Yes, I mean, it's just there's so many things that are just there, and he just plants it. Or and Scagnetti, it just... that the name Scagnetti, which mm-hmm. I, I think was repurposed uh, for an, another film that he did. It was a name in a different mm-hmm. context, I yeah, think, but. Yeah. But you can tell his, his imagination is just so fertile and expansive. And he just kind of lives, I think, it, or it seems as though he just lives in that world. And he just kind of draws stories from it. Like it's like it's stories that somebody told him that actually happened somewhere. You know, that's what's fascinating. I, um, Steve, I, I'm, I'm with you, although, you know, you said it's one of your top three. Reservoir Dogs is my favorite Tarantino. To this yeah. day, is my favorite Tarantino movie. Yeah. I think the economy of storytelling, 
uh, the characterizations, the, the freshness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I think you know even before he had Robert Richardson, you know, in these lush, beautiful. Uh, you know, it's still it's the, the the cinematography and the directing are serviceable to the story. Didn't need to be more than it was. You know, even though you know ever since Kill Bill, I mean, his the, the beautifully. Mm-hmm. You know, all his movies are beautiful to look at. But I, I, I you know, it was made rather inexpensively and I but it's um, fantastic I just love the whole story you know he wrote this he was a video store clerk you know got Harvey Keitel uh, you know read it which is what you know led to live putting up the money the, the home video label which was you know just looking at it as a home video plane they knew they'd make a certain amount of money uh, because you know Keitel was in it um, and uh, it's just wildly entertaining super watchable you know, many and how times. cleverly it was written, it's like a play. You know, mm-hmm. there's these long it scenes been a play. in single locations. You know, whether it's the diner or the warehouse or the back of a car. Mm-hmm. You know, these extended scenes. But he's very cagey because you know, using the non-linear format. You know, even though it would get very, if you just been in that warehouse, it could be very claustrophobic. Yeah. But because he jumps around the timeline, you know, you're you're, you're a bunch of different places, and you're telling the stories of these characters, so it never becomes monotonous. Yeah. You know, or feel claustrophobic. Um, and you know, and also the fact that he's an unreliable narrator. You know, the Tim Roth story. <laughs> yeah. You know, and how how that evolves into what it ultimately becomes, as opposed to you know. Um, and and I just I I adore this sort of icon of noir, Lawrence Tierney. Uh, you know, who people know from Born to Kill, or our audience may know from Star Trek: The Big Goodbye. Um, <laughs> is, is so uh, terrific oh, in it, and they even good. you know name check the fact that he looks like the Thing, you know, which he does. <laughs> um, uh, and 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 uh, you know, Chris. Uh, Chris Penn is wonderful. Oh. Don't you point that gun at my dad? <laughs> you know, um, it's just a wonderful. Uh, it's it's just a, it's such a great film. And as you said, uh, you know, I didn't know much about it other than that it was um, came out of Sundance, and Sundance wasn't wasn't what it was then it yeah. is now. But it, it came out of Sundance. People were talking about it. But you know, look at that title, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, what the it's hell? A weird title. And and so that was the same year. Tell you right, they saw El Mariachi, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I saw the, both those movies the same year. And uh, so I went to go see, uh, I think I may have been Swingers that year, too. I'm not sure. <laughs> and um, uh, went to see Reservoir Dogs, uh, knowing nothing about it, and just came out f- utterly floored, you know, that I had seen something truly s- special. Who, who was there uh, for the film? Was Ter- Quentin no there? one was there. No one was there. No one was there. Um, and I'm trying to think for me, I think for El Mariachi, Robert Rodriguez was there. But I think because it had played Sundance and was getting all this, to the best of my recollection, I could be wrong, it's a long time, I don't think anybody was there for Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Um, it definitely wasn't Tarantino. Because I didn't see Tarantino, I didn't meet Tarantino until we were all at the Hawaii Film Festival. I forget why he was there. But Rob and I were there with Free Enterprise. It was a funny story, yeah, Hawaii Film Festival. And I remember we were at the after party after Free Enterprise had premiered um, and Tarantino had seen it. And um, we're in this treehouse, this weird treehouse where the after party is. And Quentin comes in as, as you know, with, with that high energy, bounce off the walls. And... Uh, we're the Ewoks, man. And he goes, you guys did Free Enterprise. Man, Shatner was great. And he starts quoting <laughs> lines from the movie. He's like, you know, it's like, he's like, I'm a Canadian, man. He said, that was great. <laughs> and, 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 and we're like, this is, this is, this is fantastic. This is everything you hope. This is our first movie. I mean, we're in Hawaii in a treehouse. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino is coming in and telling us our movie's great. This is after we had screened in L.A. and Aaron Sorkin was raving about the dots. So it was like, we're riding a total high. And... Um, and then it wasn't until years later that, again, at a film festival, it was a Sigis. And I don't think that was the year you were there with me, mm-hmm. but um, um, I smell burgers. I smell big kahuna burgers. Uh, this may be the podcast where I actually can eat them on air. Um, but uh, but um, so I'm a Sigis, and um, we're sitting having uh, a dinner, and Quentin is running by, being chased by Pavarazzi like something on a hard day's night. He dives into the restaurant where he said, hey, guys, you uh, you mind if I sit with you? And we're like, no. And so we ended up sitting there, and we're talking about, of all things, I think the remake of The Killers with Lee Marvin for mm-hmm. um, uh, a couple hours. And he's ordering all this food and everything. He's like, hey, can, can, I, can I come to see your movie? And we're like, yeah, but we're going to go back to the hotel and like change. And then, and he says, oh, you don't want to just hang out? And we're like, well, we're going to go back and get ready for the screening. He says, he says okay, I'll see you later. And he shoots out. And and left us with this, you know, thousand dollar bill for like Don Barry. Whoops! Is that what you, I'm sure he's used to at this point. And uh, and it was so funny. But uh, he 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 was he was uh, he he is a force of nature. 
and you know I, I I get such a kick out of him, and it's also such a pleasure to talk about somebody who knows more about movies than you do. Yeah, uh, because well, for all of us, I think that's it makes rare. sense now that his movie number ten is entitled Dinah Ditch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was it was it was uh, you know uh, the the times that we've been in his orbit have always you know just been delightful. Yeah, I actually uh, I didn't get to see that movie in the theater. I only saw it on video, and I saw it because, or I watched it because I had seen True Romance, and as four thirty movie listeners know, I adore that film. Um, and I remember the the trailer. For True Romance, you know, it was, you know, filmed by Tony Scott, you know, with a script by Quentin Tarantino. Now, I have not before or since, like, seen a trailer where somebody is, like, you know, kind of calling out the writer. The writer. Mm. Like, and the audience didn't even know what to do with that. Like, I think people <laughs> laughed. Now I would, now I'm taking that personally. But, but, uh, <laughs> but I said, okay. So I, I saw that movie and thought it was brilliant. And then I just became obsessed. Like, I just, I had to see Reservoir Dogs and holy crap it is just so good tim roth is just so 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 good i mean they're just the entire cast is all just they're just yeah. all great yeah. well michael madsen you're gonna bark little dog mm-hmm. or you gonna bite and, and michael madsen's never been better yeah. obviously than he is in that movie he's so, he's so fantastic mm-hmm. um and uh just that whole ensemble, and and uh, yeah, the whole scene where they're getting the names, and he's like, "Why do I have to be Mr. Pink?" and all, you know, Steve Buscemi and um, Mr. Brown sounds like Mr. Shit. <laughs> else with that name on another job, and you're going to be That's Mr. Some Pink. Other guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's just, uh, it's just brilliant. And I think, you know, look for 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 you know the three of us, you know, being writers, um, it's uh, you know, it's such guy. a joy. <laughs> To see, you know, that kind of musicality almost yeah. in writing. It's just the, the dialogue is always so fresh and original and biting. And, uh, you know, it just it, 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 it makes you a better writer because you want to up your game, you know, in the sense of, uh, um, you know, just seeing how great, you know, crackling dialogue can can be. And, you know, those early movies, it really was the dialogue that carried it. It wasn't until the emergence of you know, Robert Richardson where his style really... It, it's kind of analogous to the way the Woody Allen movies, how he didn't have a great visual style until Gordy Willis, you know, mm. or you could argue with Love and Death, which um, I forget who shot that. But it's the same thing where the early movies aren't really marked by a, a, a iconic kind of classic visual style until later. And same thing with, with Quentin. His movies early on aren't like you know, amazingly inventive visually, but the, the the writing is so good that it doesn't matter. And he, you know, he tells it in an economic way. So yeah, great choice for Monday. Yes. Congratulations on Monday. <laughs> Tuesday, Darren Dodgerman. Tuesday. Well, thanks to Ashley, my original choice for Tuesday has been pretty much talked about. What, True Romance? True Romance. Oh, no. No, no, we no. no. T- you no. barely touched on it. So I'm going to move on. No, no. Oh, I think True Romance is legitimate. Great True Romance is a good pick. It's already done. Thanks changed, a lot, Ashley. Romance is gone. Well, the the romance is gone. Romance is dead. Tarantino. <laughs> I, I know that. <laughs> you got me in a vendetta kind of mood, though. <laughs> um so I'm going to go to the other uh, Tarantino movie that I think works, would work even better as a stage play, much like uh, Reservoir Dogs. Um, Wait until hate, dark. Hateful Eight. Mm. Ah. I think Hateful Eight, for all its uh, 70 millimeter mm. wonderfulness, yeah. doesn't need that at all Mm-mm. because it's it's basically noises off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in 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 the Tarantino world, in in this strange sort of old west land um, that he has visited in a couple other movies, but it's so um, compact and interesting how all the characters sort of interact within the space, and it's so much fun to watch the uh, the teams formed and broken and other teams uh, coming together and how they are all moving like chess pieces. And it's fascinating, and I love it, and it's so much fun to watch. 
It's so interesting because in a previous episode you talked about how what a fan you are of Murder Alien or Express and Agatha Christie. Yeah. And in a way, mm. Hateful Eight is nothing more than a really sort of updated Agatha Christie. But you would have never known it from the publicity because, of course, right. Cinerama, you know, it's in, in Cinemascope. Yeah. And it's uh, it's going to be projected 70 millimeter on yeah. film. And, and you it's think, completely irrelevant. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's, it's exactly the wrong yeah. film for that. Yeah. Because, and, and, and I mean, for the first 20, 40 minutes, it's gorgeous. I mean, sure. when they're out in outside of Telluride, it's, right, a, it's yeah. a series in the of snow postcards on the cover. Yeah, absolutely, but, but ultimately, it's what you said. It's yeah. a play. It's, yeah. it's 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 a one room drawing room comedy, which I find I mean, incredibly comedy, incredibly hilarious. ironic. Yeah. yeah, it's like is he is he screwing with us? I think he is. <laughs> yeah, I really think he is. Well, um, I, I think, you know, I think at the time when he addressed that, he did say that because of the, you know, the, the blocking and the composition, they used the big screen mm-hmm. to block that in a way that you wouldn't normally uh, shoot sure. that. But, yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's a really interesting choice because that's, a, I think, probably his most polarizing film. Yeah. It, it seemed to have the least amount of excitement ultimately by the audience. But, but I, I, I find film. it excitement when people are talking to each other about interesting I, things I and interesting I, I, twists and turns. I think it's a terrific film. Yeah. And all that stuff at the beginning with Kurt Russell and uh, Sam Jackson on the on the uh, wagon train and uh, mm. James Parks, who I really like, who I've worked with. Yeah. I think he's terrific. Well, um, And then a little more than halfway through, it's... Everything is everything is turned upside down. Uh, completely, everything you think you yeah. know is wrong. Yeah, it's so it's so it's well. Very done. surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really great choice. Um, okay, uh, so that's the hate flight. Which we <laughs> talked. Well, that was. Oh, did you want to? Well, no one else wanted to talk. About no, it. no. I uh, yeah. actually, yeah. I mean, I. Uh... But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> audio. Hate flight. Awesome. Love it. No. Uh, <laughs> no. It. You know what? It's actually quite a beautiful movie. Like, even in those interiors. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so incredibly well designed. Um, and I think that, that, uh, that you know, Samuel Jackson is just awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the twist with him. And I love that the twists just keep coming. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you just just when you think it's done twisting, it finds another way to to twist, and it sticks the landing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know who doesn't get enough credit for that movie? Because you know we we it, his heavily testosterone uh, Kurt Russell. Know, uh, a company of, of, of actors, you know, we've seen Sam Jackson and Kurt Russell and yeah. all these people have been so wonderful, the late Rod Forster, um, right. and the people he keeps coming back to again and again, like Tim Roth and uh, Michael Madsen. Uh, but Jennifer Jason Leigh is amazing, yeah. is amazing in that yeah. movie. She's so good as uh, Dominique Gurgagoo, Domagoo. Not since her performance as Captain Kirk. No. As Captain Kirk. I don't understand. Never mind. What are you talking? I don't even get the joke. The live read of the what? When did she play Captain Kirk? Wasn't she in your live? Uh... No, Mary Stuart Masterson. Oh, Mary oh. Masterson. see, see, three names, always confusing me. Oh, never have three names. You should only have one. One. one <laughs> yeah. I love Michael Thomas. Share. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nothing share. else. Exactly. Just share. That's right. That's and right. And share alike. Okay. Christo. So that was Tuesday. That was Tuesday. only Tuesday. Tuesday. So that's why we're going to Wednesday now. Yeah. With uh, unless Steve wanted to add anything. Uh, I, I, it's I, not I, one of my favorite Tarantino movies, but I like it, and uh, I've been meaning to watch it again. But I, I did enjoy it. This is well, where I flipped the table over. This is, <laughs> nah, but this is when uh, you should watch the, uh, the... We'll have to talk about the Netflix one when yeah, we all get around definitely. to watching it. Be curious if it changes anybody's opinion. Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, Ashley Wednesday. Miller. Wednesday. So, um, I want to talk about a, uh, a movie that Tarantino did not direct, uh, that he wrote, that... Is not a perfect film You're by picking True Romance, aren't you? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I wouldn't funny. do that. That was some jujitsu, right? I, I will say it's, it's True Romance is, I think, the best movie that Tarantino wrote that he did not direct, and it is absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time. And I could spend the next hour, probably we could just the two of us sure. just sit and talk about that film for the next day. But you won't. But we because won't. your pick is because my pick else. is. From dusk till uh, dawn. Really? You picked from dusk till dawn over I, True Romance. 
Really? Well, I'd already picked True Romance last year. I know, but we said now, season two. Now, if somebody two... else had picked it last year, maybe I would have picked oh, it. Oh, yeah, year, okay, I can see that. my own movie again? Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, fair enough. So there you go. I uh, What I dig about From Dust Till Dawn is the audacity of it. I mean, you talk about a movie with a twist. You talk about a movie that turns upside down <laughs> at the midpoint. Yeah. I don't know if there has been a movie ever that turns more upside down out of freaking nowhere like From Till dusk, till dawn. Mm. First, it has dusk, and, and then it has dawn. Then it has dawn. <laughs> and then, <laughs> right? Uh, no, basically, the movie is about a couple of uh, of robbers, uh, the the Gecko Brothers, played by George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino, if you can believe it, uh, who you know are fleeing the scene of a robbery, fleeing like, silent tyranny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they uh, and they're fleeing basically into into Mexico to avoid the law. Um, they've got a hostage. They've got um, a preacher played by Harvey Keitel uh, and his family. Um, you know, the uh, George Clooney's Gecko brother is fairly sane and stable. Quentin Tarantino's is absolutely not. Uh, they take refuge in this bar uh, called the El Rey. And everything in the El Rey seems uh, sort of threatening and scary and all that other crap. And in a very, like, what you would expect from a Tarantino very movie direct kind of way. way. Very <laughs> direct way. You've got, you know, bikers and you got like, you know, like, you know, violent criminals and you, you got, got Tom Savini. In, yeah. <laughs> you've got Danny Trejo, you know, like you've got like uh Cheech Marin who's like standing outside like telling you all the kinds of P word that Brian Fuller would say, but I'm not gonna like inside. <laughs> uh, I mean, like he's like he like he talks about it the way that uh McKelty Williamson talks about like shrimp in uh in Forrest Gump. I mean <laughs> It's it's bananas, dude. Um, the dialogue is all very Quentin Tarantino. Um, like one of my favorite lines of of all time is you know George Clooney, uh, Seth Gecko. He's Seth, right? Asking uh, asking Harvey Keitel, what are you going to be, a fallen preacher or a mean mother servant of God? I mean, come on, <laughs> that's a great line of dialogue. But midpoint of the film. It is revealed that this spoiler alert spoiler alert is a vampire bar <laughs> and the just hits the fan in every way imaginable. So, you know, it, it, it a movie that that simply on its own terms already felt like, oh, OK, this family is in trouble and, you know, they've been taken by these guys, one of whom is a monster. And we see how monstrous he is at the beginning of the film. Suddenly they're surrounded by actual monsters. And it just it is hard to describe what that transition felt like in the theater, even kind of knowing what was going to happen going into it. That It was just it's not a it's not a, a perfect turn on a dime. But there's just something about it that's just undeniable that you just have to see. Uh, you know, really great creative designs for the vampires, really cool vampire kills. Um, I dig it. It's a lot of fun. It spawned some sequels. Mm. Uh, and it spawned a, a television series. There you go. Okay. There you go. There I am. I agree. There do I we am. call Salma Hayek luminous in this, or do we have a new word for her? <laughs> well, I don't think she can be luminous. If she's uh, covered in blood. If, she, if she's covered in blood. So she's uh, voluminous? Voluminous. <laughs> yes. The voluminous I, uh, Salma Hayek. I have to say, I, I really like this movie when it's a Quentin Tarantino movie for the first hour. Yeah. And I really hate it when it becomes a, a vampire movie and a mm. Robert Rodriguez movie, um, which is funny because actually with Death Proof and... Um, uh, Planet, Planet Terror. Terror. I actually like Planet Terror better than yeah. Death Proof. But in this case, I like the Tarantino movie a lot more than I like the Robert Rodriguez movie. Um, it's fun, right? I don't. Well, I, I probably wouldn't have it on my list of Tarantino uh, uh, movies to watch, but um, but it's all right. Well, that, that second half, <laughs> uh, I think what kind of happens to it is it stops operating on the things that make Tarantino movies great. You know, which is. All of it, which it's is predictable. The it's exactly yes. Because it now it's just for yes. sort of like running through. It, like mm -hmm. it, it basically uses its best trick at the midpoint, and then it never really finds another trick. And then we're kind of going through the action, and it's how inventive can the action be? You know what it is? It's the battle creekification of um, of of uh, Quentin. What do I mean by that? This was the first yeah, script he ever had options. Uh, to he had an option to. Um, Robert Kurtzman of KMB, right? Mm -hmm. You know, who was going to do his low budget direct to video horror before Quentin was Quentin. Um, 
and it's kind of like when um, Vincent, uh, when uh, uh, Vince F- F- Gilligan finished Breaking Bad, you know, and he could basically have a back of a napkin made. He reached into a drawer, something he'd written ten years ago before Breaking Bad. This pilot, Battle Creek, and sold it to CBS mm-hmm. for fortune. They want to have nothing to do with it because you know, I mean, it was a money. Clearly, it was a money thing. Uh, you know, it's like, and it, I kind of feel like with Dust Till Dawn, you know, Dust Till Dawn may have worked well as a spec and may have helped get him work. It may have been, but it did it need to be made? Probably not. Um, but you know, I think for for him, partially what appealed to him at the time was it was a chance for an acting gig for him, a major acting mm-hmm. against one of the biggest stars on television. Mm-hmm. ER, you know, had just finished, or was it, he had just finished on ER, and it was a huge thing for George Clooney because it was before uh, it was Peacemaker, just, and it was just before um, uh, Batman for uh, Batman and Robin. No, not Batman and Robin. Uh, no, it was after Batman and Robin, wasn't it? After Batman and Robin, this is but was it? No, no, no it was, it was just was before it one. because it was yeah, it was just before Batman and Robin. Because I remember thinking, oh shit, it's like because I remember assessing Clooney through the uh, the lens of is he going to be a, a good Batman or not? Because this is a big he would be and then being a deal for Clooney to do this movie, and then um, you know, and like I said, I think the first hour is really good. It felt like a Tarantino movie, mm-hmm. and then it flips on a dime, you know, into this kind of vampire movie that we've seen sort of many, many times, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there are people who love it. You know, people love the movie. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with Mark on this one. I, I enjoyed the movie, uh, especially the first half. Um, and there, there are things I like about it. But it's not one I've revisited mm-hmm. <laughs> since I saw it. Um, because I think I was a little let down by the the uh, the vampire stuff. Right. It felt a little, I don't know, I just wasn't into it. I, it you might thought be the vampires story. sucked? Yeah, <laughs> but you know it's been. You didn't know what was at stake. <laughs> oh, <laughs> didn't have the bite that I was looking for. Oh, uh, but uh, you know, it wasn't incisive enough. <laughs> incisor enough. <laughs> uh, well, but you know, funny. twenty-five years plus later, re- you know, to revisit it, I might find more to uh, or something different to enjoy in it. So, I'd... when I, I think also when it came out, it's like. There was so much the cult of Quentin. There were all these books being written about him. I mean, there still are, but Mm -hmm. it was such a, you know, there was such a high bar. And uh, when it came out, it was kind of like, okay. It didn't feel like it belonged among the pantheon of, you know, what he was doing. It felt like it was slumming a bit. And um, so anyway. That was that was kind of my yes. Feeling. So yeah. Thursday then, yeah. yeah. That brings us to me. Um, uh, this is challenging um, um, because you took my movie, you <laughs> Klingon bastard. But um, I uh, look. Fortunately, he's done some really great films. Eight was your movie? No, oh, the Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs was was, was my movie. Um, it's our movie. It's, it's our movie exactly. It belongs to the world. You know, uh, I, I was toying with the idea of doing Hero, which is a wonderful martial mm-hmm. arts movie that he presented mm-hmm. back when he was throwing his money, uh, his his uh, his name on things like Switchblade Sisters and Hero uh, and all this stuff uh, uh, for Miramax. Um, but that, that, I think that's cheating. You know, that, that's kind of cheating. I, I'm going to go with the Quentin movie. Um, and uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to go... He's gonna go. No, he's no, gonna go. I, he's just gonna I, get I, up like, and leave. Know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to do my my. You know, well, it could be this, or it could be that, or it could be that. Thank you. Um, but it could be. But I'm see. I'm now. I'm internalizing it instead of saying <laughs> it. It's better when I just say it. Um, I, son of a. That wasn't a movie. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm gonna go. You know. Uh, I'm going to go with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. okay. I'm going to go with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Look, I love that era. I I, I think his depiction of uh, 1969 Hollywood, uh, you know, it's just pitch perfect. Um, I, to me, uh, DiCaprio and Pitt are like Newman and... Uh, Redford on screen, yeah. Newman and Redford on screen. <laughs> Newman and Seinfeld. Uh, they have such a. <laughs> I I would love to see those two do a bunch of movies together, a bunch of buddy movies together. Um, but only set in the late '60s. Only set yeah. in the late '60s. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what I hate about, and I and I have to say, you know, like um, uh, Inglorious uh, Bastards. As much as I love that movie, I've always had a problem with them killing Hitler at the end. Um, I don't 
you know, I kind of had this, the same problem with the revisionist fairy tale ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It doesn't bother me as much. Plus, it's so damn satisfying. Yeah, it is. Um, and at least he tells you he's going to do it with the title. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and of course, the way that <laughs> it, it pays off. It's pretty satisfying. It, it's pretty satisfying. And uh, it's long and it's self-indulgent and I loved every freaking (laughs) minute of it. Um, It's so my kind of movie. Uh, I I love the era. I love the fact that, you know, it's set in Hollywood. You know, all the stuff that he's paying homage to, like Bounty Law. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, it's so funny because the stuff we talk about that, like, no one else seems to know. And, you know, and these Italian movies Mm -hmm. like Danger Diabolic. And it's just like, it's so made for people like us. And I'm so glad that other people enjoy it. But, um, you know, I just, uh, and it's, Beautifully shot. I mean, Robert Richardson. Um, the, the 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 lensing is is gorgeous. Uh, you know, is it a perfect movie? No, but you know what? Uh, but you know what? I picked from *Dust Till Dawn*. So yeah, but I mean, yeah. I just I, I love it. It's you would like the best Tarantino movies. It's immensely rewatchable. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to say this is one of the few movies in recent years I went back to see pay to see a second time in the theater because yeah. I just enjoyed the experience so much. I, I wanted three to times. see it again. Yeah, three, three times. times. Yeah, I mean it's so it's so much fun, and I mean even you know and, 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 and there are always these little scenes that like exist outside the movie in his films, and that great scene between. Um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Al Pacino, Schulz, and and, and uh, um, you know it, this whole dilemma of um, of Leonardo DiCaprio's character, you know, feeling that you know after the TV show uh, he's he's finished in the business, and then when he goes to Italy and does, uh, it's just <laughs> it, 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 it's such a love letter to movies and particularly that era of movie making, which I think we all love so much. I mean, um, uh, and and and. Um, you know, fetishize in a way. So it, right. it's kind of, um, it's kind of really cool. And I was really looking forward to this movie and, you know, it just totally delivered. I didn't have any, like, I didn't come out of it like, oh, that was okay. It was like, it was, <laughs> I it was, it was, I really, I just love the movie. And I, I think uh, it's, it's wonderfully written and it, it's, uh, and, uh, you know, beautifully shot. And, and again, you know, and I an, think it's, it's Brad Pitt's best role. He's ever. so yeah. good in it. Yeah. He's so good in it. And, uh, I know there's a lot of controversy about the scene with, um, uh, you know, with Bruce Lee. I love it. I, oh, yeah. I think it's great. It's awesome. And you need it, right? Because that scene prepares you for the very end of this film. Because if that dude can kick the crap out of Bruce Lee, you know that the pain is coming. <laughs> like, even when he is high as a kite at the right. end of that film. And um, there is not a luminosity meter that goes high enough to describe... Uh, Margot Robbie's um, <laughs> performance yeah. as Sharon Tate. Now Sharon Tate was beyond luminous, voluminous, va va luminous. But I mean, uh, you know, and anybody who's a fan of Sharon Tate just knows how amazing mm-hmm. she was. Um, and to see her, um, uh, you know, be you know so beautifully portrayed as this almost fairy tale right. character uh, by Margot Robbie. I mean, it's just it's. It's it, it's exactly what it needs to be in that movie. It's not the Sharon Tate story, right. you know. And um, it was so funny because when I went to see it the first time, I actually saw it the second time in Europe. But the first time I saw it, I saw it here, and I saw it at the Bruin, and I had no oh. idea that there was a scene in which they're watching the Wrecking right. Crew, and the Bruin ends up becoming right. a very important part <laughs> of the movie. And I'm like, we're sitting there and we're watching, it, and all of a sudden the movie's out. She's outside the Bruin, we're like this is crazy, yeah. and then she walks inside. And it's crazy. And she's sitting where we're sitting in the theater. That's fine. <laughs> that was like when I saw Speed at the Chinese theater and then ah, the movie ends on right. Hollywood Boulevard out yeah, front. That's fine. Or I saw The Graduate on the USC campus and then The Graduate, you know, he Ber- USC stands in for Berkeley. And that's like, I he's th- standing right outside. <laughs> I think that it's lovely that she doesn't play a more major role in the movie because if she did, it would be a tragedy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, yeah. it, it, but you're I, right. It, it completely works. That and way. I love the fact that he uses the actual footage from the Wrecking Crew yeah. rather than trying to recreate it. Um, you know, that that's a that's kind of a, a, a rocky thing because with that in there, then that sort of it sort of plays against the the clip from uh, uh, Great Escape. 
to me. No, but the greatest talk about that, and we disagree because that's a fantasy. It's a fantasy of what it would have been like had he been in it. Because the fact is, the rest of the clip is all from the Great Escape. The only difference is his performance, which is awful. And you know, also there, there's, there's something else for me in that scene specifically, and I think that I detect almost throughout the film and kind of at the end of it. And this maybe sounds strange considering that it's a it's a comedy and it is it's so effervescent and it's frothy and it's light. Uh, and, um, you know, again, I, I, I've seen this thing three times. And the thing that strikes me is buried at the heart of it is this deep um, sadness and regret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's like a wish that this child is making, that things had somehow been different, that this cowboy hero and this stuntman hero had somehow been there to save the day because so many things would have been better and they would have been right. And that scene where Margot Robbie is is watching Sharon Tate on screen, that is a love letter to Sharon Tate. That is Tarantino wanting us to love her the way he loves her. And... You know, there is something about, and you know, we people kind of, kind of raise our eyebrows at Tarantino and his love of feet. But I have this interpretation of it that I've become more and more convinced of. That, like, why does she go in there wearing the boots, and then like she's got her feet, and there's like dirt in her feet, and all this? Uh, it's because he's reminding us that she's dead, right. Right. and it's so sad. It's so sad. Uh, I, I mean, and I love the movie for it. I love it for just that that pure that's why I don't find it indulgent at all mm. because it is just that that pure emotion and his affection for those characters and what they represent even his affection for Bruce Lee it's it's palpable it's palpable. Uh and it's just you can't get away from it and it's it's why like I just love watching that film because those characters are all so human. The dialogue is great because because it isn't indulgent because the characters don't get lost in the words you know there's just and the filmmaking is just amazing i think it's it is my it is my i want to say maybe it's my favorite tarantino film it's one well, of my top three better than from uh, dustal dawn For sure. so if you had told me that Damian Lewis would make a credible Steve, Steve McQueen. McQueen. Right. Oh my God. I would have been like, are you on glue? Ah. But somehow he makes it work. And all the performances in that movie, the little girl, everyone, oh, yeah. are just uh, Luke Perry. Oh. Yeah. Wow, yeah. where'd that come from? Yeah, it Bruce was, Dern. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's George just, Spahn. Yeah, which was supposed branch. to be Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, just... And that scene, what a great, I mean, all of a sudden it's a horror movie. Yeah. yeah. The suspense. Turned into suspense. It's great. You know, and then the payoff on that suspense, you know, where you're biting your nails, like, what, well, you know, it, 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 it's not at all what you expect it to be. And I love that. And I, I, way, love, I love the way he inverts the uh, stereotypes and the tropes. I, I love that Brad Pitt, like, literally lives behind the scenes in a way, right. like behind a drive in theater. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's great. It's great. And, and there's a little bit of a Tarantino verse happening in that movie with, um, the reference to Margarete, <laughs> the, the Italian film directors that he worked for. Well, and all the you know the fake movies, are, you yeah. know the recreations of are so pitch perfect. Yeah. And then the the, the one sheets and yeah. everything. And it's like if this was his last movie and not whatever he does next, it would have been the perfect capper on an incredible. I hope career. he's just doing a Soderbergh on us and he says he's going to retire he's going to keep he's going to like hey no maybe I'll do it I think he does 10 then he does TV for a little while and he comes back and does features it's like it's not going to like somebody who loves movies that much he's not going to be able and and who can can basically do whatever he wants yeah Yeah, this isn't his job it's his obsession right he can do whatever he wants for God's sakes he might get a Star Trek movie I mean you know to end up doing a Star Trek movie he can do whatever he wants I mean it's so speaking of whatever he wants Friday what do we want for Friday everything uh, everything. everything. Well, part of me thinks the the clear choice is that you would say, well, it's Pulp Fiction because that's his magnum opus. Right. Uh, he won the Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. But personally, it's not I my mean, favorite. I happen to, and I know lots of people love Jackie Brown. I, I love Kill Bill Volume One, like, uh, and especially, especially the House of the Blue Leaves, uh, House of Blue Leaves sequence. Um, at the very end of that film. It's just like beautiful filmmaking, incredible action, uh, and just great use of music, and Lucy Liu, and like... I was this close, instead of picking, was going with Hill, uh, Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair, so you could have the two Kill Bill oh, films yeah. instead of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I went with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I could have picked Kill Bill. 
has the whole bloody affair ever been cut together? Like, well, if you live in Japan, oh, if really? you watch the four thirty movie, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's four thirty movie for six hours, threatening to release on home video for. Uh, 15 years and it's never shown yeah. up. Uh, I held off buying the Blu-ray because I keep waiting for yeah, this whole too. bloody affair. Well, it's the same happens. thing as the Reservoir War Dogs cut with the extra 10 minutes that right. they even sh- showed a couple years ago. And oh, really? They said it was coming out on home video and it never, never did. Yeah, the one with the excised Mr. Teal. Mr. <laughs> 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 Moe. Uh, 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 played by Mr. Uh, T. That's, that's funny. Right. Mr. T plays Mr. I T. pity the fool. Uh, Kill Bill's great. I mean, you mentioned Pulp Fiction. Obviously, that is the film that created the cult of yeah. Quentin that's uh, not my favorite of his. It's not my favorite either, but I like it. I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah I do it's too. It's great. I mean, I, you know, I don't deny its awesomeness, but it's not my personal favorite. I, I really I, like Inglorious Bastards, honestly. And I and I mm-hmm. don't mind the 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 Hitler killing ending. I I, I, I do. that movie. I do. I I I find it deeply offensive. Really? Yeah. But uh, the uh but I do love the movie. Yeah. I, I love well no, I particularly love the first fifteen minutes, which I think are oh. pure cinema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I think the scene in the basement is great. Yeah. And you can't go wrong with uh David Bowie putting out fire with gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> uh and, and and um uh you know, so some of the French resistance stuff is or the, fantastic. The perfectly insane scene in Churchill's office. Where it's shot so that everybody is sitting like a thousand feet away from each other and having the conversation. I just love that. I, I, um, what was I going to say? Also, I mean, his favorite movie is Jackie Brown. And I have to say, after Pulp Fiction, I remember going to see Jackie Brown with a bunch of people. We were all somewhat underwhelmed. And over time, and that was the other movie that uh, Michael Keaton from Out of Sight was in, by the way. Right, yeah, Ray Mm. Nicolette. Ray Ray Nicolette. But the, um, that is a film that has only grown in my estimate, and most people's, I think, since then. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously with the death of Robert Forster this year, last year, um, that, uh, you know, it's certainly his best performance. And uh, it's just, and Pam Greer is fantastic in it. Uh, it's, a, it's a really great film. And uh, that's one I've really been meaning to revisit because I, I, like you, I was a little underwhelmed by it in the wake of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. And uh, I have the DVD of it that I've just never watched. It's been on my shelf for 15 years or whatever. Yeah, it's not as in your face as a lot of other movies. It's much more subtle. And I think, although, you know, the Bridge of Fonda, Sam Jackson stuff isn't exactly so. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there's still true romance and there's still Stun um, sitting out there. I don't know. This is and a tough I, one. Yeah, I got to say, I'm also a fan of uh, Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, me I too. find that movie, I I didn't like it so much when I first saw it, but it's one that's really grown on me over mm-hmm. the years. And it's just so gonzo, like between Tarantino's just his crazy script. But and it's then, more of an Oliver Stone movie than it, it is it, a the, Tarantino yeah, movie. Yeah, well, in the height of Oliver Stone's sort of experimental phase when he's just going bananas shooting stuff on Super 8 and 16 and 35 and video and black and white and color and just... And then there's that crazy monologue he gives on what was it, not Lean on Me, uh, in the uh... In the movie where he has the, the, the that crazy monologue uh, where he comes in and does... What is it? I, I gotta cheat on this one. Um, he's only in it for like five minutes, but he has this great monologue. What, what, what was it? Um, um, Who does? I don't remember. Um, oh, oh my God! He was in the Muppets Wizard of Oz. Did you know that? Who I did not. Yeah, know I did that. actually. In fact, I um, that was on my list. We have our Friday. <laughs> 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 you know, oh, sleep with me. He was in. You're right. Sleep with me. He has that great, that yeah, great Seattle. cameo. You don't remember that? Is that the no. one where he talks about like uh, about Maverick and uh, yeah, 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 and and, and the the, the volleyball game. scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, um, there's Crimson Tide. The Crimson Tide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't get credit on that, Always even though Prince we all know Tide. that he rewrote. Always the Crimson and Tides it, made Never the Bride. And of course, he was McKenna's Cole in Alias. Yeah, he, he was. And he, <laughs> did he direct an episode? Yeah, he, yeah, did. he did. That's yeah, right. He did. And X-Files also, right? Mm. Yes. I think, was it X-Files? Yeah. I think so. Um, I don't I know. Do. I, I would My pick, I, I would go with Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair, or Jackie yeah. Brown. But I, I think you guys feel Inglorious Bastards or um, I, Pulp Fiction. I'd go along with Kill Bill. Yeah, I'd go Kill Bill. Okay. It's his sensibility meets an aesthetic, artistic sensibility. This is when his whole filmmaking style changed. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it, if you had the sound off, 
it would be just as interesting. Oh, yeah. The other ones could be radio plays. You right. Can, you can quit digging. You hit pay. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, on that note, um, yeah, so that's a week. So Monday? Monday, Reservoir Dogs. Tuesday is uh, Hateful Eight. From dusk till dawn. And on Thursday, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Friday, it's Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair. Before we go, I asked you a question at the top of the show. Which Quentin Tarantino movie would you most want to see remade with the Muppets? So I'll start with uh, Steve Melching. I mean, Reservoir Dogs. I, mean, I could just see those <laughs> the characters cast themselves. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it'd be, it'd be great. I think it has to be uh, uh, Kermit on a motorcycle in uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I kind of feel, I, I think it got to be Pulp Fiction, too. I mean, you know, oh my bring God. out the gimp. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I, I agree with Steve that the very clear choice is Reservoir Dogs, but. Already color-coded. Yeah. Why am I Mr. Brown? <laughs> <laughs> a close second for me is The Hateful Eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. I'd watch any of those. All of yeah. them would be wonderful. Wow. The whole Quentin Tarantino or oeuvre, as <laughs> as performed by the Muppets. See Miss What's... Miss Piggy in the House of the Blue Leaves. Somebody get him and the Henson Company on the phone. Happen. We're doing this. Oh my gosh, the House of the Blue Leaves with Miss Piggy. <laughs> Aya! 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 the bride. Oh <laughs> there we go. Fantastic. Take well, that internet. That was. Uh, <laughs> That was a great. That was a great week on the QT and very hush hush. So um, uh, thank you guys. Thank you Steve. Thank you Darren. Thank you Ashley. Thank you myself for joining us for 4:30 movie. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts like Inglorious Trexperts, the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. Every Saturday, Rebel and the Rogue, Star Wars podcast every Tuesday, and of course, Best Movies Never Made every other Monday. You can watch them all on the Video Podcast Network on the Electric Now channel, which you can uh, watch uh, when you download the stir distro tv or zumo apps on your at your local app store um if you enjoy this podcast please rate us five stars on apple podcasts and if you're very lucky we might read your review sometime in the future where we'll all spend the rest of our lives and a very <laughs> special thanks to uh bill ritter bill ritter what's your qt pick i'm a kill bill one guy i was uh with quentin on a playback when he came to my stage to play this movie back before mm-hmm. it aired so uh, there, kill bill one guy. there you go nice. bill made it happen for qt <laughs> so i did that day yeah okay we're waiting for you to do that for us thank you very much uh no great great choice uh and everyone here at electric search network thank you producer natalie miscali natalie where are you on this Quentin Tarantino thing. Uh, I go Django. Django. Django, which we did not talk about at all. And it's funny because it's a really great movie. And I'm surprised that we we never touched on it. That's a great, great choice. And I'm glad. Until the last 60 seconds. I don't even remember the last. Oh, I do now. Okay. I I really like Django a lot, but I love Westerns. I was really happy to see him uh, do a Western pre Hateful Eight. So, Um, and uh, the guy who brought us the big kahuna burgers, uh, Zach Raggetts is back there. Um, What, what, uh, how are burgers? They're, they're still warm. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) What's your, what's your pick? Are they tasty burgers? Django as well. Django. Oh, two for Django. Django. Make Django. it a make it a Django. move on the front runners. Two for Django. <laughs> on Saturday, it's Django, Django. and Jane. <laughs> um, okay, well, thank you, everybody. And thank you, Dean Devlin, without whom the show would not be possible. And our audience, without whom the show would not be possible. We'll see you all here on the 430 Movie next week. Until then, Eyewitness News starts now. Today's episode is brought to you by the Colonial Movers of Caprica. We move anywhere. You're listening to the Electric Surge Network.